I got my little clip on. Now, I'm so excited to be with you guys tonight. Uh, just a little backstory on, you know, how this started from, you know, the first Wednesday of February. Me and Brother Bobby had breakfast one day, and I think it was either November or December, and, um, you know, we were just catching up on how things about for the youth were going, you know, our plans for the next few months, and um, just out of, the, out of the blue, uh, Brother Bobby asked me if I wanted to preach on the first Wednesday of, of February, and, and I was like, oh, okay, I don't know, I don't know about that now, but it actually, what had happened is a few, probably a month before we had breakfast, God had put a message on my heart, and I didn't feel like that it was for the children, I mean, for, the, for our students. Um, I felt it was a little bit larger scale than that, um, and I just didn't know what it was for. So God put it on my heart, I typed it out, I even had this typed out. Um, so as soon as he asked me that, you know, the devil tried to keep me from saying, you know, he tried to put fear into my, into my heart saying, you know, you don't need to preach that on a Sunday morning, you don't, you don't need to get before the before Move Church and preach this. But I said, you know, the Lord has provided me with this message. Put this in my heart, so I think that's what it's for. And I'm so blessed and so thankful for Brother Bobby to give me this opportunity. Um, so Just so thankful for his leadership for our church. So thankful that we get to be a part of a congregation and get to serve a church under uh, Brother Bobby and Miss Patty's leadership. Just an amazing time. But um, So we, we can go ahead and get into it. So the, what we, I wanted to talk to you all about today is um, this message is, the key text is out of Isaiah, and um, go ahead and get into what part of Isaiah we're going to be talking about. Um, the sermon is based around Isaiah 40, and if you don't know what that's about, Isaiah 40 talks about children of Israel getting ready to be led into captivity. Um, so, as you can imagine, I think, I think so much about, you know, what we're going through right now with Ukraine, and how those people across the world must be feeling, and I kind of would like to think that... You know, that's kind of how they're feeling. And, but God has placed Isaiah with this group of people, with them specifically for this purpose. And God has anointed Isaiah to already know how the children of Israel will be thinking up to being led into captivity. And as you can imagine, the thoughts are, where is God in this time? Why isn't God helping us through this situation? Where is he in the time we need him most? And Isaiah already knows this. They haven't spoken that. They haven't shown that. Isaiah already knows that. And so God's plan for Isaiah in this, in this part of the Bible is to switch their thoughts, not to do anything else, but just to flip their perspective on what they're going through and to you know, persuade them to think, okay, God has something on the other side of this and to try to switch their perspective. So I want to read Isaiah 40, 27. It'll be on the screen. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord my cause is disregarded by my God. And so as I'm reading this scripture and as I'm studying it, studying this chapter, I've been there. Where is God throughout what I'm going through? Where is he when I need him the most? What I'm going through, where is he? Why do I feel like I'm alone? And, you know, it's so funny, and I find it really, really to pattern with my family members. I love you guys with all of my heart, just to make this clear. Just before we get into this, let's just make that one thing clear, is that when I'm going through something and, you know, it can either be small or large and I'm going through this and I'm wondering where God is and I'm wondering why isn't he controlling my life? Why aren't my plans falling out? Why are they 
being destroyed. And I talked to my parents or, you know, really anyone, and they're like, oh, you know God got you. God got you back. Just have a little faith. I'm going to slap you. <laughs> that, ain't, that is not what I want to hear in this moment. I want to be mad at God, and you over here trying to talk some sense into me. That's not what I want. Right? We've ever, we, have you ever been in that moment where you feel like God's nowhere near me? I don't know where he is. I don't know why he's not guiding my life the way I think it's supposed to be going. So this morning I wanted to title this message, The Struggles Are Real. And so, like, things you're going through, like, this is not just a time for you to tell me God's got a plan for me. This is real. This ain't just a bump in the road. Um, and I told Brother Bobby before, you know, when I had this message typed out, I'm used to preaching to our students, um, talking to teenagers, so I have to use illustrations to get their attention, and I have to use stories. So this message this morning is going to be loaded with stories. I even have an illustration that we'll get into. But um, the first story I just want to talk to you all about is when I was in high school. Um, we did a lot. I had a really solid friend group that I thought was solid at the time. Um, you know, we did everything together. We had this one friend that always drove, always wanted to drive everywhere we went. Fine, cool with me. But this guy would clean his car on the outside, pull up to his house Monday through Sunday. He's outside cleaning his car. When he shows up to pick us up to go somewhere, that car will be filthy on the inside. Them tires going to be wet and shining on the outside, but you get inside the car, McDonald bag going to fall out of the door. And everywhere we'd go, I was just thankful I didn't have to buy gas. Um, we would ride with them, car be filthy on the inside. And it, over time, you know, we would go somewhere and he'd volunteer, well, I, I'll drive. No, we ain't riding with you no more. We ain't, we ain't finna ride in that mess. But, and you see, I thought about this when we were going through this message, is that, you know, the problem was not that he was focused on what the car looked on the outside. The problem wasn't that he wanted to wash his car every day of the week. But it was the problem that he forgot what the car looked like on the inside. He forgot that all of that mess was in his car causing an inconvenience for everyone around him. The problem was that he forgot what was on the inside. And I feel like you can relate that to a lot to your life when you're going through something and you don't know where God's at. You forget what's on the inside of your situation. You forget about what you're going through. You forget that God has a promise through every situation. And sometimes in the midst of the pain, the heartbreak, and the storm, we forget God's plan. If we can just stop focusing on what it is that's on the inside and focus on what's the outside. The Bible says, the greater is he that is in me than he is who in this world. We have to learn how to fix our focus. That's the key. And that's why the Bible tells us specifically in Scripture to place your mind on good things. Be specific with your prayers. Place your thoughts on good things. Trust God through every situation. And so, already cotton mouth. So, over the years of going through different things and struggling with different situations, um, and growing up and, you know, maturing through my walk with Christ and, you know, getting a better relationship with Him, I've, I've learned to understand that there are two things um, 
that I need to understand when I'm going through a situation, when I'm going through trials or tribulation, when the devil is attacking me, there's two things that I rely on when I'm going through those things. And the first thing is that I have to understand the Lord's language. You will never hear from God if you don't understand and you don't study his language. And so what I found most helpful in these times of trying to understand God's language, trying to understand how God speaks to me, is I got to read, read his word. I got to spend time by myself and cutting out the distractions of the world and read his word, dive deeper into our relationship. And I also help find it helpful to have those godly relationships in my life, to have those people around me that help my walk with Christ, not diminish it. Fill me up with positivity instead of breaking me down with their negativity. You know, I, I kind of thought about, I never really understood how purposeful our relationships at church were until COVID hit. When the church was closed for a few months, you know, we're watching online, all you could do at the time. I really began to understand how much I needed to see y'all's faces. Because in isolation, the devil attacked me. Without being in the church, without seeing you guys' faces, without hearing Brother Bobby's testimony face to face, that hurt me. That hurt my relationship with God. And that's what the devil intended to use COVID for. As I firmly believe that, it was attack on the church. The other thing to understand the promise within is the, for number two is to trust in God. Easier said than done. In the midst of your battles, in the midst of your heartbreak, in the midst of your situations, that may be a hard thing to do. To say, I want to trust God, is a lot easier to trust God. Especially when you've trusted God and he didn't fulfill what you thought was needed to be. When your plans didn't line up with his. So, when we talk about trusting God and we talk about trusting him with your life and your situation and whatever that you may be going through, a story come to my, came to mind in the Bible. And it's the story of when God used Jesus to choose his first disciples. Luke chapter 5. So I want to dig into this, dive into this, and just read a little bit about what's going on in this situation. But first, the, this is the overall context of Luke chapter 5. So... Jesus is standing next to the lake of Gennesaret, preaching to a crowd of people, and he sees these two boats sitting at the water's edge. Fishermen are outside their boats, cleaning their nets. And um, you know, Jesus walks up to him and says, push me out a little way from the shore in your boat. Specifically talking to Simon. Simon pushes him out a little bit further away from the boat, from the water's edge, and he continues to teach to the people he was already teaching to. Right? So let's read Luke chapter 5, 1 through 4. And it says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And here's what I think is quite interesting as I'm reading through this scripture, is that it says, then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. 
his whole situation and her whole lesson from this story was for Simon. But he told Simon to put his boat out a little bit further away from the shore so he could continue teaching what he was already doing. Sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes you have to wait for God to use you the way you think you should be used. Jesus continued doing what he was doing and left Simon right there to wait. So let's continue. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And so I think as I read through this story of the Bible and I read through what Jesus is telling Simon Peter to do, I kind of consider Simon to be a generational fisherman. He's done this all of his life. He's a professional fisherman. And he tells him to put out deep. The Bible says that Simon knew exactly what he was doing when he was fishing. And so I think Simon's experience, I think the Lord, the Lord put this on my heart, that Simon is used to fishing these shallow waters. That's where he had his best luck. That's where his experience is. That's where he's had his best luck of catching fish. Now, Jesus comes up and says, put out into the deep waters and let down your nets. He's probably thinking, yeah, I know what he's talking about. That's not where the fish are. But sometimes God has to remove, remove you from your experience for you to get your blessing. Sometimes to fully trust God and fully get what God has planned for your life, you have to leave your shallow zone. We have to leave our comfort to receive God's blessing. Luke 5, 5, it says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. You're going to be tired. You're going to be sick of going through what you're going through. God is going to carry you through what you're going through. You're going to be tired. You've, you've worked all night. You're tired. You're weary. You're tired of going through what you're going through. And sometimes you're going to feel like the devil has won. But in these moments, it is important to remember that God has you right where you need to be. And we have to understand that his, his knowledge is greater than ours. So let's continue. Luke 5, 5 through 6. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. That's the kind of obedience I pray for. In those hard times, in those times of tribulation, in those times where I feel like God is nowhere near me, I pray that when I do hear from God, I have the obedience to obey. I pray that God puts the blessing over my life to be able to go places I've never even thought I could go, but just because I want to trust God. You should have a desire in your heart to say, I want to trust you wherever that may take me. So let's keep going. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. God's truth has to trump your feelings. We've got to stop relying on ourselves and our plans and rely on God's. And sometimes your blessing is just past your breaking point. They were coming in. They were washing their nets off. They were ready to load up and get out. They're tired. They're weary. They're sick of being out there all night not catching anything. But because they obeyed God, because they had the obedience to say, because you say so, 
I will let down their nets, their blessing came. Sometimes in the moments of uncertainties, the Lord just wants your trust and commitment. That's all he wants. All he wants is for you to say, I trust you. I give my life to you. I want your blessing over my life. So let's keep going. Luke 5, 7. It says, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And so the first time I read this verse, I thought, well, you know, that's just God's blessing. He blessed them abundantly, and that's why they needed the second boat. That's not what I think God meant for this verse. That's not why I think God planned for this to happen. I think God planned this to happen because when he blesses you, you bless others. When he puts a blessing on your life and you fully understand what that blessing is, it ain't just for you. I tell our students all the time, I think a few of them are in here. We're not here for us. We're here for other people. You live your life day in and day out to say, God, bless me so I can bless others. Bless me so I can have the testimony to reach other people to say, God has a purpose for your life. God has a promise for you. God has a plan for your life. Luke 5, 8 through 10. It says, when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and says, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. To receive God's blessing, it takes an enormous amount of trust. And sometimes the trust that our blessings require are required at a, a pretty bad time. Sometimes the amount of trust that your blessing requires comes at a bad time. The worst. The blessings that God put on your life and on my life are not meant for me. They are meant to change our lives and others' lives. We are placed on this earth to share the good news to other people. Trusting the Lord changes every situation. It changes your focus. So I want to get back to Isaiah. Let's dig back into what he's doing. And here's what I love about Isaiah. Isaiah is talking to them about their thoughts. And so I imagine the children of Israel are like, how does he know what we're thinking? How does he know what's going through our heads before we've even voiced it? And so I kind of think that already puts in their minds, okay, God is working here. This man already knows what we're thinking. God has a plan for this. I, I think that that's where the children of Israel first realize, that, okay, God's working here. Because what do we know about our thoughts? I talk to our students about this all the time. It starts with a thought. Your thoughts produce everything. Thoughts produce words. Words produce actions. Actions produce habits. Habits produce your character. And character produces your destiny. Life is hard. Life is hard. And when I, I heard a preacher talk about this one time when he was just pounding on life is hard, life is hard, life is hard. It brought back a memory. We were probably in seventh or eighth grade at a friend's house. And, you know, a bunch of, bunch of people that age and all you, uh, they, they got allowances. Like, um, just... A weekly allowance. So we're sitting there talking, and 
he builds up the courage to ask his dad for an allowance. Um, so he wanted me to go with him. You know, he's like, you got to be with me in case he starts yelling at me. So, and I'll never forget this, this guy that I was with. His dad was very biblical. His dad knew the Bible. I'm talking, this guy knew the Bible from front to back. He quotes you just about anything out of it. So he goes in there. Dad, I want an allowance. You already got one. So I knew where this was going. And so, you know, you get, just get uncomfortable in those situations. You just, but he, he looked at me. I, I, ain't, I ain't in this no more. He's, he asked his dad, you know, what is it? What is my allowance? Well, I allow you to be here. I allow you to eat this food. I allow you to live under this roof. And so I thought the conversation was over. I started walking back. Out of nowhere, he said, because in First Timothy, it says that a workman is only worth his wages. So that means if you don't work, man, you don't get no wages. And I'm thinking, that brother just came up with a verse out of First Timothy off his head like that. That's how I want to be. Now, we think life should be easier. We, we, we go through life, and we wonder why we go through things, and we think, God, why is he doing this to me? Why am I going through this? Pity me, pity me, pity that. That's what we go through. That's what we talk about. That's how our minds think. That's how our flesh thinks. Why am I going through this? Why, 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 why? And sometimes I feel like when you're going through something and you do have a good relationship with God and you do have a solid foundation in God's word, you start thinking, well, God should deliver me from this. You know, it flips the script. Instead of you focusing, you know, why am I going through this? You forget about the pain that scripture basically promises. God's blessing a lot of the times comes through pain. You forget the pain in the midst of your situation. You forget that God has promised you some hard times. Yeah, y'all better think about that. So let's get, I have a few verses set up for this. Psalms 9, 9 through 10 says, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in the times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for Lord, you have never forsaken those who seek you. I feel like we need to read that again. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in the times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who see you. It says for the oppressed. It says for those that are in times of trouble. Which means you're going to deal with oppression. You're going to go through some times of trouble. But these situations aren't just meant for you to go through something hard. They strengthen your faith and they strengthen your trust in God. These situations have a promise. These situations have a destiny over your life that you don't even know about when you're going through them. And as, you know, I've, a lot of you know I'm a type 1 diabetic and, you know, things that I've gone through with that, I, I, I wonder, why, why did God choose me for this? And it starts to, to pester in my heart, like, God, I am mad at you for giving me this. Why, out of all these people, why do I have it? But God spoke to me one night in my room. I was all by myself. My parents were out of town or somewhere. And I was just... I was letting God have it. I ain't going to lie. I was screaming at the top of my lungs, acting a fool. But I want you to understand that some things that you go through may not be your fault, but they are your responsibility. The things that you go through may not be your fault, 
but you've got to make them your responsibility. And over the years, you know, hearing different pastors speak and, um, you know, a lot of people will tell you, you know, the past does not predict your future. But if you dive deep into God's word, I want God to produce my future from my past. I want God to use my past to produce my future. That's what your prayer needs to be. God, use what I've gone through. God, use what I'm going through to produce where I'm going. 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And here's what I love about the Bible. Here's what I love about God is that I can write that scripture down on a notepad and I can change anxiety to whatever I'm going through. Cast all my depression on you because you care for me. Cast all of my anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all of my fear. Cast all of my troubles. Cast all of my worry. Cast whatever I'm going through I can write down and that becomes a declaration. God cares for us, but we're gonna experience anxiety. We are going to experience some depression. We are going to experience some overwhelming things, but God will be there for you to comfort you. That's the promise. That whatever you're going through, God's right behind you saying, I got you, just keep working forward and there's a blessing on the other side. You know, Brother Bobby does it all the time. God, just sitting there like this. And I believe that's what he is doing through every battle, through every trial of tribulation in your life, God is sitting there just waiting for you to get through the other side and understand why you're going what you're going through. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's speaking to us. Let's read this again. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I'm going to need grace. That's what it's saying. Life is hard. Ministry is hard. You coaches, servers, the guys that or people of Move Church that you're leading the ministry in this church, it's hard. Ministry is hard. Life is hard. But the problem, I think, is that many of us go through life and we go through situations and we give up too soon. What would have happened if Simon Peter would have just gave up and said, I'm not going out there to fish anymore. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm giving up. Then you don't get your fish. I want my fish. Right? <laughs> I want my blessing. That's the challenge. You have to progress past the pain to get to the victory. You must go through the battle. And here's another thing that I love about Isaiah is that he doesn't point these people to their situation. He points these people to the God of their situation. Don't believe that where you're going is going to be defeated. Believe that there is something far more purposeful on the other side. So, I know I tell our students all the time, I just relate so much of my life into the things that I go through to when I was diagnosed with, with type 1. And sometimes I forget to understand that I was not the only one that was affected when I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I was six years old. I barely knew anything about what was going on at the time. But I can, God has blessed me to the point where I have now am able to view how, what my parents must have been thinking. What they must have been going through, my, my immediate family, what they were going through. Because at the time, type 1 diabetes wasn't so rampant. We didn't know much about it. We didn't even know what it was when, it, when I got diagnosed with it. How confused they must have been. 
how hard the devil must have, have attacked them in that time of uncertainty. And they're mad at God and they're, under, they're not understanding why they are going through this. Why did God allow this to happen to their son? And so as I grow up and I'm, you know, we're at swim parties and I have to get out of the pool to hook my pump up and sit there for 30 minutes, that's not a big thing to me now, but it was when I was seven. Things matter at different points of your life in a very large scale. And now it's to the point where I have to pull my pump out and, at a dinner party and give, me, give myself insulin. That's not, that's not the cutest thing to do. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's a struggle. And you go through life and you have, I'm sitting here thinking about my parents who are having to look at their son that's embarrassed to do things, that doesn't want to go places because of it, and think about how, how heartbroken they must have been and how, how much the devil must have attacked their mindset, attacked their mental state in the point where depression can set in, anxiety can set in, all these different things that this trial and tribulation must have caused for them. But at this time of my life, right now, type 1 diabetes is the biggest blessing God has ever put on my life. This last week, I got a phone call from one of the ladies at the JDRF. They wanted me to get in touch with a 15-year-old kid from Northwest that wasn't doing what he was doing, not supposed to, or having a hard time dealing with his diabetes. That's the blessing. That is the purpose God had for me to be able to affect these kids that aren't doing right. That was the purpose for everything 10, 15 years ago that they couldn't see, that I couldn't see. That was God's purpose. And I think we have to get to a point that we have to say, I'm not going to put a period where God put a comma. I'm not going to build a house where God put a tent. Believe that where you're going is far much greater than what you're going through. And you better believe if God is all you got in that moment, then you best believe that God is all you need. Amen. We have to switch our perspective. Can you put that picture up for me, Brendan? Um, so this, this is a Move Church shirt that I took a picture of recently. Um, in this picture... It's all about perspective. You know, you might, those are 150 foot pine trees behind, behind that shirt. But in this picture, the shirt is so much bigger than the trees. And you have to ask yourself, why is the picture, why is the shirt so much bigger than the most obvious reason that the pine trees are so much bigger than the shirt? And you ask yourself, how is my fear so much bigger than God? How is my depression so much bigger than God? How is my anxiety so much bigger than God? It's not. It's because you're sitting closer to your problem than you are to Jesus. God has a plan for what you go through. And once you finally step out and say, God, I want you closer on my problems. God, I give you everything in my life. It's not because God gets bigger. It's because you truly see how big he is for the first time. They don't change sizes. Your perspective changes. So Isaiah 40, 28, 31 says, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, 
and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. And here's where it gets good. It says, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. What does waiting look like? When it says, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Does that look like me sitting on the front row of the church? Does that look like me sitting down doing nothing, not praying, not reading my scripture, not spending time with Jesus, waiting on a blessing from God? No, I think waiting on the Lord looks like you're getting up. You're getting on your knees. You're getting on your face. You're praying to God, bless me. Bring me through what I'm going through. Waiting does not look like being still. <laughs> At some point, you have to realize that waiting looks like having some crazy faith in Jesus. Look, I'll tell you all something about Nick. Me and Nick have been friends a long time. And so, like, like I said earlier, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was six years old. Um, I've been prayed for by every evangelist, every pastor, everybody that, everybody in the southeast that knew how to pray. I've been, I've been prayed for by them. Every revival when we was at the church, somebody come get me, bring me up to the altar. And I'm thinking, all right, this again. But, no. One day, it was, matter of fact, it was one of the times Eugene Green was here and Nick was here at the time. He was home from Baton Rouge. And, um, you know, this day I, I was fully prepared. You know, God's going to heal me today. I'm much stronger in my faith. I feel like I deserve this. But Eugene Green paid, prays for me, and it was just like nothing. I, I didn't feel anything. And that's nothing on Eugene Green. Nothing at all. But I walk back there, and I'm crying, and Nick, Nick just slaps, slaps his arm around me. He's like, you healed? And I was... <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know. I'm looking at my pump trying to see what my number was. I said, I don't think I'm healed today. And he was like, out of the blue. Nick is a very blunt person if you've never met Nick. Nick looked me straight in my face and he said, I don't think you're supposed to be healed. <laughs> and I'm sitting here waiting on the Lord. I'm praying. I'm on my face. I'm, I'm wanting God to heal me. And this brother just told me I ain't supposed to be healed. I appreciate that, Nick. <laughs> I understand. But no, I had to come to a realization that Nick was, Nick was not saying that to me to, to tear me down. Nick was saying that to me because I need this disease to affect other people. I need this disease to reach these kids. I need this disease to affect other people. That's what Nick was trying to say. His strength is made perfect because of our weakness. And it's in our weakness that we realize how weak we really are. If I could have my guys some help bringing my illustration up. But another, but I feel like in those moments of weakness, in those times of tribulation where you feel like God's nowhere near you, God has abandoned me, God has no plan for my life, I feel like those points of weakness is where God really moves in and works. So a lot of you know that I'm a nursing, I'm a nursing school student and I've went, to, I went, I've went through some things recently that had me very angry with the Lord. You know, I was, it was kind of confusing because I was, I was seriously on like a spiritual high. Um, I thought God had this plan for my life. I thought he had 
everything set out. I thought it was working out perfectly for what he had called me to do. And so drastic changes happened within two days, and all of it, all of it changed. And so I've prepared myself for when Nick comes home. Nick likes to eat breakfast at like 6 a.m. I'm more of like an 8.39 brunch type of guy. And so Nick calls me, he says, hey, I'll be in town later this week. I was like, all right. All right, he's like, we're going to go get some breakfast? I said, that's fine. So I already prepared myself. And I done told my mom, I done told my dad, I done told Katie. I said, I'm mad at God. I am mad that I'm going through what I'm going through with school right now, and I have no control over it. I felt like all of my dreams, I felt like God's plans were ripped out from under me. I'm mad. I'm going through, I wake up every day. It's almost like a stage of depression. And the devil's attacking me. You know, you ain't got no worth. You don't know what you're doing. God has no purpose for your life. He has no plan. And I'm going through it. I'm mad at my family members. I'm mad at everybody. I'm mad at God. And I'm just not the most pleasant person to be around at this time. And so Nick comes home, and God, God had a purpose for Nick to come home at this point. God had a plan for him to come eat breakfast with me. So I show up, Waffle House, 6 a.m., already mad about that. <laughs> so we get to talking, you know, the casual, well, how you been, man? Just let me know what's up. And so I, I unleash it. You know, we in the middle of Waffle House, and I'm saying, I'm mad at God. I'm mad at you. <laughs> but I ha I, he, he recognized that something was going on with me. I had a mad just demeanor about my whole body. He knew that something was wrong with me. And that's, I, I unleash it. I tell him, you know, this is happening with school. This is happening. I feel like God's abandoned me. I feel like the devil has just got a grip on me right now that I can't get out of. And I say, I'm mad at God. I don't even want to go to church. Nick just simply looks me in my face after I've ranted. I think I'm in tears at this point. I'm so mad. And Nick looks me in my face and says, how close are you to Jesus? And I was, this is another point that I was talking about at the very beginning of this message. I wanted to reach across that table and pop him in his mouth. <laughs> no, but I needed that. I needed for him to look me in my face and make me realize, you ain't nothing without God. God is not going to give you a life where he's unnecessary. Nick had to make me realize that I needed him. And in this moment, that's how I realized how weak I was. How weak I was without God. How weak I was with this negative mindset. How weak I was without knowing that God is the ruler of my life. God is my savior. God guides my plans. And whatever I'm going through, he has a plan for it. And so here's what, I've, here's what I've come to understand after that experience with Nick. That pain in our hands does three things. It blinds you, binds you, and confines you. The pain in the hands of God does something completely different. You say, God, I give you what I'm going through. God, I give you my pain. I give you my anxiety. I give you my depression. I give you my fear. I give you my worry. And then he does marvelous things with it. So let's, let's look and see where it starts out at. God takes pain, and he produces a partnership. We were never meant to do anything alone. Go to the, open your Bible to the first page. God says, 
Adam was not meant to be on this earth alone. You are not meant to go through what you're going through by yourself. Isolation creates a playground for the devil. The devil doesn't want you to go eat breakfast with somebody that's going to speak life into you. The devil doesn't want you to be around people that are going to bring you up and build you up. The devil doesn't want it. We've got to get the right people around us, whether that's serving here at the church, whether that's leading a, a small group, whether that's leading a team or whatever it may be for you. You've got to surround yourself with people, with accountability partners that are going to make sure you're on path, make sure you're doing right, and make sure that you stay right on track with what God has planned for you. And just like Nick, I needed someone to look me in my face and make me realize how weak I was and how desperately I needed to be on my face at the foot of the cross. God made me realize that my situation is not bigger than God. I can push God away as far as I want to, but as soon as I say, God, I want you back in my life, he's right back there. Don't you put limits on Jesus. Pain produces partnership. Partnership produces the promise. And a lot of times I don't realize I have a promise until someone makes me realize it. The partnership makes you realize your promise. Isaiah 40, 29. It says, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. There is something on the other side of your pain. There is something on the other side of your anxiety. There is something on the other side of your depression. There is something on the other side of your fear. There is something on the other side of your situation. If you'll just partner with Jesus and give it to him, he will take your life and he will build it. He will construct it. He will place a foundation under you that you could never have imagined. Don't get too busy on the pain that you forget the promise. You've got to let God in on it. Got to let God in on it. And here's the last thing. Partnership produces promise. Promise produces power. So this is called a fulcrum demonstration. Now what a fulcrum is is something that provides you leverage. Fulcrum means it's something that provides you power. And I want this box right here to be our fulcrum. And I want that to represent God. And this stacks of bricks right here, I want, this to under, I want this to represent the things that we go through. The things that the devil puts on our shoulders and that we have to walk through day in and day out. I'm going to tear you down. I'm going to beat you down. You're not going to want anything to do with Jesus after I get done with you. I want that to represent that. And you say, well, I'm going to come to church a little bit and I'm going to see what God's about. But I'm not going to give him everything. I'm going to put him at this end. That gives you no leverage. When God is at the other end of your life and your problems are at the other end, that gives you no leverage to destroy things. But then you say, because you invited that person to church, because you invited them to your small group, God put something in their heart, and they say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve on a team here, here, at, here at Move Church. I'm going to come to that first Wednesday night service. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give everything that I'm going through to God. I'm going to get on my face in my house. I don't have to be at the church. I'm going to get on my face in my room, and I'm going to give everything that I've got to God and let him destroy it, and he gives you all the power.
God wants to do something for your life. God wants to be involved in your life. God wants to be involved in your pain. God wants to be involved in your fear. God wants to be involved in your life. But God will never touch something if you don't let him. God will never just barge into your situations and rule it. You've got to simply say, God, I want you in my life. God, I want you to come into my life, and I want you to wreck everything and start from the ground up. You have to let God in on it. And I, fear, I feel like at some point you say, well, why does that have to be a choice? Why does that have to be something that I say, why can't God just barge in when I need him to, knock over my fear, knock over my depression, knock over whatever I'm going through? Because a choice creates love. If he does it, you have no power over it. You've got to say, God, I love you. I want you in this. I want you to be a part of my life. I want you to destroy the kingdom of hell in my life. Our Father in heaven wants you to choose him. Yeah, let's come on, let's give God praise. Again. Come on, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And let's give a round of applause for Brower. I ask him to stay up here and do it again. I know. In a moment, I'm going to ask Brower to pray. Um, you know, there's um, so many important things that he shared with us. Some of it we don't want to hear, though. <laughs> like like Brower was saying, we're, we're, you don't understand where I'm at, and we. There's, a, there's a, a sort of a twisted comfort in being miserable for some time, at some time. It's almost like we deserve the attention put on us, put on us, just to be miserable for a moment. And, uh, you know, God really wants to touch and heal, and, and we cannot be beneficial for him until he, we allow him to do that work in us and through us. Uh, a person that is miserable without hope doesn't do good for anybody <laughs> other than bringing them down further. But a person that's walking through it, that has a message of trust, that has a, a faith that says, but God will take care of me, that person has a message. And that's what I love about Brower. He has, he has a message that he has lived out. And many of us have that story. And hopefully you're putting these things to practice. There's a couple of stories that I thought about, Brower, that while you were up here, that uh, I'll close this out, and then I'm going to ask Brower to pray, that I remember a time when Nick and Brower have been friends since nursery. <laughs> I mean, a long time. And I think Nick probably was about three or four, and Brower's about a year older. And they were at a park somewhere, and uh, a, a, um, another boy that was a little bit bigger than Nick was, was bullying Nick, was messing with Nick. And it was affecting Nick a little bit. And Brower said, what's the matter with you? And, uh, you know, that boy was hitting me. Well, Brower went over there and stood up for Nick and hit the little boy, I think. <laughs> and, you know, that's one thing I thought about. I thought about. You know, there's a time that no matter what you're going through, God says, it's enough. He may not change the situation, but that perspective in you can change. 
where he says, okay, that's enough. And I'm fixing to work right now. You're fixing to see me. And I think that's going to happen to someone here this morning. That your situation may not be, maybe your situation changes, but even if it isn't, I believe God is going to say, okay, that's enough of hearing that enemy that's constantly, and you're going to have a faith that when you walk out of here, you don't walk with your head down, but you walk up with your you walk out with your head up, believing God to take care of you. I think I believe God's going to do that. And then another little story I thought of uh, that Brower was in his teen years, and we happened to be together, and he had left his phone unattended, and and he was texting his girlfriend. Now, I don't know if his girlfriend was good for him or not, and I'm a little bit of a prankster like his dad, and I just picked up Brower's phone when he went looking. And text, it's over. Put it back down. And he really has some explaining to do after that to that little girl. And I, I thought about that. I think, I think you know, there is a part that we pay, play. And Broward talked about that. It's time for somebody to send a message to the enemy. It's over. It's over. Yeah, I've been listening to you. And I've been listening too much. But I'm going to tell you today, it's over. I put my trust in God. Would you stand up on your feet? Now, I know that resonated. I felt that in my bones. Somebody's fixing to send the message. It's over. How many of you need, would say, with eyes wide open, everybody looking, I need to let the enemy know right now, I'm putting my trust in the Lord, and it's over. His effect is over. Would you raise your hand? Robert, come up here if you would. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's keep our hands up. Let's go ahead and put our faith in him now. Would you do that? Lord, I'm trusting you. I know I've been listening. I know I shouldn't have. And Lord God, today I'm just telling you, I'm trusting in you. And I want to let the enemy know. As a matter of fact, we're going to do it like this. He don't read your mind, but he sees your actions. So we, we've, we've prayed a prayer, putting our trust in the Lord. And the way we're going to let the enemy know that we're trusting in the Lord and it's over with him, we're going to stick the other hand up in just a moment. Some of y'all ready to do it now. But on the count of three, devil, this is what this means. When we raise this other hand, we just let you know we're trusting in the Lord now and your message, your effect is over. Raise your other hand if that's you. Yeah, it's over. Let's give God all the praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you. It's because of you. It's because of you, Lord God. We walk in victory. You work in our weaknesses, Lord God. We thank you for that. We give you praise for that. You're a mighty God today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You see us where we are, and you're working things out for us even when we don't understand it. In our weakness, you are strong. Thank you. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to do a, a prayer that we call a commitment prayer. If you have sin in your life, uh, let's go ahead and send that message. That's over, okay? And let's give it to the Lord. I'm going to pray that prayer with you. And I'm going to ask Brower to pray a prayer of persevering faith, okay? Persevering faith. That we just set our mind on the Lord, and even when we feel like giving up, we don't. We just, we just keep going. I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer in a moment. Let's pray this commitment prayer. If you have sin in your life, or you want to commit your life to Christ, 
today is a beautiful day to do that, to start a relationship with the God that loves you more than you could ever imagine, who has given you more than, you, than anybody else has given you. He's done more for you. He's got such a plan for your life. Today, begin that relationship with him. If you are out of, uh, uh, out of relationship with him, come back today. He's right there. Church, let's pray it together. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you gave your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Would you forgive me for all my sins? Would you come into my heart? Would you change my life? And I'll do my best to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You're always faithful to forgive us. You're always faithful, Lord God, when we mess up. You're always faithful when we repent and come to you. You have open arms and you take us back in. In Jesus' name, amen. As a matter of fact, I'm glad. Would you please come up here? I'm glad you're here. And it just fits this message. Yes, come on up. As a matter of fact, Mike and Marlins, would you come up here for just a moment? Would you come right over here? Step right on this side if you would. I want this young man to have the same kind of faith. This young man, if you don't know, was in, him and his mom were in a terrible accident. Y'all come on up. In, in a terrible accident, uh, how many months ago now? A little over four months ago. Y'all come on over and get my brother if you would. And... Um, in a terrible accident, and the Lord saw them through. I'm telling you, it was a miracle, right? Yeah, he's trying to cover up his scars. He did have full plan. surgery. Was told he was not going to leave the picky for a very long time. I checked myself out of the hospital after my surgery. Two days after that, he was talking and responsive again. Uh, after him coming to see me, he ran with me every day while they wouldn't let me go down there to him. And he's like, Mama, I'm ready to go home. He said, Mama, I want to eat. They wouldn't let him eat. I said, You're going to get my kids some jello. And he ate he ate two two things of jello. He said, Thank you, Mama. And we sat there. And after two days of us being in there, me having a video that will crush your soul in my phone saying goodbye to my kids, thinking that brain surgery is my thing. He came back in. And plastic surgery, neurosurgery, lumbar, everything went perfectly. He's running and would run right now if he was not so shy. After that, we went to a room of our own, and he was scared to death there the whole time. We were there for four days, and he got to go home. We were both expected to be there for more than a month more. Yeah. You know, why do we have to go through things? Can I tell you, if God allows you to go through something, he'll bring good out of it. And it will be so good that you will say, it is good. And God's got a special plan for you. I felt this when Robert started talking about his mom and dad going through all of that, what they felt like. Like I said, it, the, the message stands by itself, but the messenger validates it. Okay? And there are some of you that are going through it. You feel like 
God, I, don't, I, know, I know he's talking that message that there's a blessing in it, but I don't see how it can be. And this is what I thought, Mike, Marlon, my brother was talking about that blessing on the other side of the pain. I'll say, y'all already know this. This is the blessing. Not just your son, but the, but the life, the testimony. And what greater blessing is it than to have your children serving the Lord and proclaiming his message, his word. And you don't even have to do it. Today he did it up here, but he does it in his life. And that's what we all, God wants it for us all. I just feel like these families represent, I'm so glad you came up. These families represent some very hard times, some, some long, enduring times. And both of them represent God working through them. And I know in this room there are many different problems, many different situations. Many, uh, we all have a different story. And some of us feel like, God, you have abandoned me. And this message today was for you. God had you here today to hear that he is there with you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He's working it out for you. If you'll just keep getting close to him, like that illustration, keep getting close to him, you will see him work on your behalf. Brower, would you pray? Lord, we come here today, God, after a commitment prayer, we say to you, Lord, give me the strength. Lord, provide me with the tools to overcome whatever situation that I may be in. God, place me in a, in a moment of trusting you, God, in a moment of having some crazy faith in you when I cannot see past what I'm going through. God, give me the tools. Give me the strength. Give me the courage. Give me the faith to see past it, God, to see the promise that you have for my life. God, to see where this will take me in the days to come. God, give me the, the stronghold. Give me the, give me the people around me to see what we're going through, God. I pray that over these people this morning, God, as they, as they walk out of this church this morning, God, Lord, provide them with the people. Provide them with the tools. Provide them with the strength to overcome the kingdom of hell in their life. Lord, we pray this in your name. We pray, amen. Let me bless you as you leave. Would you raise your hand? May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lift up its countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.